Hello again, dear listener. I just wanted to let you know that you're right. This is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. And we're going to jump back in time a bit. The episode you're going to hear today took place on April 23rd, 2018 at the Lido, which is on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, or Vancouver, B.C. And you'll be hearing from some of the awesome lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Ali Mann, David Lee, Maureen Medved, and Katie Nordgren. And throughout the episode today, you'll hear music from Nicholas Kurgovich, whose latest album, In an Open Field, is awesome. You can find it on iTunes and at your local record dispensary. The track we started the show with today is called Do It Again. And we have a live show at the Lido on August 27th, 2018, that you should come and check out if you like. No pressure. Kevin Chong, Jackie Hoffert, Selena Bowen, Carrie Donaldson, Savannah Erasmus, they are all on the bill. There's going to be music by future stars, so it's fixing to be a pretty nice time. For more info, go to afineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at afineshow. All right, and I am your host, Cole Nowicki. Let's... Let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. Up first, we have fantastic human and comedian, Ali Mon. I feel like all of Main Street is here. This is a lot for me right now. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to jump into it. This is cool. Uh... Uh, my name's Ollie. Uh, I have I have cats, obviously. Um, most men say too many cats. Uh, all men I've been with have said too many cats. How many? Anywhere between five and seventeen. I'm always fostering. Uh, I should just say one. I think if I want to get laid at some point. I've been thinking a lot about about ha- like upgrading from the from the from my to like a, a baby, you know, like to a human. Because um, a lot of my friends are doing that. It seems like the thing right now. Just to have a baby. Who, fuck it, we can't afford, who cares? We're just going to have them. And the streets will r- raise them. Um, the community gardens. I've been thinking, uh, I so I... <laughs> I, I I tested it. I took one of the cats and I found a hoodie and I and I swaddled it a little bit and I just walked around the house a little bit like this, with with the cat. Um, and I thought that was going to be the the hard part, just holding one of them still. But uh, really, the breastfeeding. Um, <laughs> uh, they are not declawed. I am a a humane cat owner. It's going to get gross soon, so uh, I just need you to stick with me. This is a lot of really cool-looking people in this room. Um, I mostly perform (laughs) in front of drunk people, so this is going to get weird. I hope that's okay. Um, I do do online dating because that's my life. That's where we are today. Uh, I had a guy swipe for me recently, and he told me he swiped for me because of my hair. He said I've always wanted to be with a girl with with big girly hair. She, it, yeah. He said I always wanted to run my hands through it. 
me too, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally like having a bramble on your head at all times. I have never combed my hair. Um, you know how many dicks I've lost in this hair? Uh, the answer is six. Uh, I'm not from Vancouver. I like most people. I, Ontario? Yeah, all of us. Um, yeah, you just, <laughs> at some point you just move. Um... I moved out here and I wanted to like start over. I moved out here because I just kind of wanted a new chapter in life and I wanted a whole new look and I found a curly hair hairdresser, which is like a pretty, when you've got this, it's, you got to hang on to it. Uh, and, and I told her, I was like, I want a whole new look. Just like do whatever you want. Like I want to look like a movie star. I just kind of want a new thing. Um, I did not think she would go with Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale. Um, <laughs> It is a tough look um, for, a, for a straight lady or a gay one, probably. Um, brings back a lot of memories. Uh, I noticed this is my first summer, last summer in Vancouver. I noticed that girls aren't wearing bras here. Like, it's just a trend that's like, you're wearing bralettes, which I didn't know what that was. It's a piece of uh, dental floss with a gauze. And it just, you, no support. It just... A lot of people are flinging their friends here. It's a, I feel like it's a brawlet room. Okay. Um, no, no one told me the rules. Though. Like, I did the brawless thing for, like, a week, and no one told me beforehand, like, you probably shouldn't do that if you don't have two perfectly shaped jugs. Um, I've got what you consider a, a grapefruit and a Christmas orange with a lazy eye nipple. Um, uh, my nipples are fucked up. I don't know what... To say there. Um. My left nipple, you know, like when you're making pancakes on the weekend, you make that first one, you know? It's always too big, the first one. And burnt on one side. I don't even know where that happened. Like if I flashed you guys right now, it looked like Forrest Whitaker was looking at you. It's uh, That is an actor with a lazy eye. That's a very... He knows. It's a funny joke. Most of the time. Uh, I'm getting weird gifts from my grandmother. Uh, I'm getting... Because uh, I live out here, she thinks she like knows. She, <laughs> she bought me a ukulele this year and in the Christmas card it said, because it looks like you would play one of these now. <laughs> Don't. Um, she gave me, she saw that, like, because I like to go to the, the naked beach, she saw that they would be increasing the, the police, police, they say it every year, they never do, but they're, they're going to increase the police on Wreck Beach. And so she said, she's like, don't worry, I got you covered, I sent you something in the mail, which is like a weird thing to hear from your grandmother. But I'm like, okay, what is it? And she got me one of those, have you guys seen these things? They're like uh, flasks. That you can like that are everyday items that you can hide your booze in. So you can get like sunscreen container. They just like it's like a flask, right? Uh, my grandmother sent me a pump moisturizer container uh, with a flask in it. <laughs> Guys, the first thing people do when they see you drinking booze out of a pump moisturizer <laughs> container is call the cops. Uh, you will die. It is flammable and a killer. 
Uh, let's get into some dick stuff. Um, maybe not. Uh, you know, I bought this off, uh, I, I bought a Yoni egg. Uh, no, anyone on that? Yeah, so if you don't know, it's a, it's a jade egg. You put in your, your puss, and it just, you wear it around. Um, there's no timeline. I didn't know. I just wore it all the time. And because uh, it's supposed to keep everything, you know, just like, I got this thing. I got the egg, and I'm wearing it around, and I'm like, don't even know, whatever, and I forget. And then I sneeze. Uh, which is a weird thing. And the thing shot out of me like a, like a, like a sneaker. Like, like, have you ever seen like one of those like cannons at a Raptors game where they shoot the t-shirts? It like shoots out of you. And it just sat like a bulge in my, in my jean. Um, like, is that how the Khaleesi felt? I don't know. Um, okay, I didn't know if she laid the eggs or not. I uh, asked a bunch of people and no one seems to know if the Khaleesi actually laid the dragon eggs. Okay, we're gonna leave that joke and we're just gonna push it aside and, and forget that it happened. Um, <laughs> one thing I got when I got here, and this is like a stroke of luck, I found like myself a doctor right out of the, which is good to find yourself like not just a hippie doctor, but also like a medical one for the real stuff. Uh, just like to have that, like crystals can't solve it all. Like I know, it, they can't, I tried. Um, but the doctor, I felt like a super hot doctor and I just can't, like I go in for pink eye and he's like, why are your pants off? Like I'm just trying to sleep with him all the time. Uh, like this pink eye, like I don't know how to get him here more. Um, I go to him for like really mundane shit and just steer the conversation to my, to my pussy as quickly as possible. Like I just take it. I'm like, I know <coughs> we're looking at the flu, but I'm just like, I'm curious. Is there like a test you can do? Cause I, <laughs> is it possible for a pussy to be too tight? Uh. No one else is Dr. Miller in the room? Okay. Uh, should I go with the ending? It's gross, but I just don't. Okay, I feel like that side of the room is like, go on. Um, like every time I leave, I'm always just, I like, I'll leave the room and I'll like ask like one more like super gross question, but like, so we can't really answer it. I'm just like squirting. Like, what's a reasonable distance for a woman? Like, where should we be? Like, is 10 feet enough, fellas? I don't know. Uh, should I be able to power wash a gutter? Ah! Do, we all have our talents. Oh, this is going weird. Um, I was uh, doing a show a few weeks ago in Kelowna, which is neat. People are doing hickeys there, and it's a weird place. Um, and after the show, this, this couple came up to me, and they said, we'd, we'd like to take you for a drink. Yeah. And I get it, like I feel like, you know, like I look like a threesome kind of girl. I feel like both men and women look at me and say, maybe. Um, <laughs> possibly. I feel like I'd panic in like a real life threesome situation though. I'd get them all back to my place and I'd just be like, on, like is everyone having snacks? Like I'd be on snacks <laughs> too much? Smoke machines on or off? <laughs> Why do I have two? Um, <laughs> it's like Beyonce's Coachella in my bedroom. It is. Um, hmm. Where do we go from here? I like getting dick pics. I think getting dick pics is fun. Um, I'm one of those women who like to see beforehand. 
I like to know. Uh, I had a guy recently tell me he wouldn't give me a dick pic because his dick was ugly. Uh, I'm in my 30s. I actually, I'm at the point where I prefer an ugly dick. I don't know. If, I, like, if your dick takes a hard left, I, I'm in. Uh, <laughs> I like picking things out in the dick pic that aren't the dick and making a comment on it. I think that's fun. Like, oh, I didn't know guys were still wearing Crocs. Uh, it's a fun one. Based on the amount of laughter there, I, I feel like I'm not the only woman getting dick pics from guys from Chilliwack. I just feel like I'm there. I will end on this. Uh, I did, I reached a big goal last summer. I did, I go into Alaska on vacation. I always wanted to go there. And uh, on my last day, I achieved a big goal. Uh, I went on a date with a real life mountain man. Uh, like not a guy from East Van, like a real, like a guy. Um, no offense, half of this room. Uh, <laughs> it works downtown, just not here because you all look like him. Um, he was a big guy though. He's like a large, everything on him was, <laughs> it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I panicked, I panicked in the situation. Like he, it, we went back to the, and he pulled it. It was just a lot for me. Like you, if you have a vagina, you get it. Some things don't fit. Uh, and uh, I panicked in the situation. I feel like I did what any woman would do in this room or man. Uh, as I immediately took a knee. I immediately uh, took a knee when I saw it. And, uh, and he knighted me with it. Which was... Guys, that's my time. Thank you so much for having me. Up next is wonderful and talented writer David Lee. He recently released his first poetry chapbook, Stubbleburn, from Anstruther Press, and he has a full-length collection coming next fall. Here's David. Ooh, it's a lot brighter up here than it looks from down there. And I'm glad, because... This is the biggest crowd that I've read in front in a very long time. And I'm glad it's bright up here so I don't see many of your faces. Not that I don't want to see your faces. Um, so I'm going to read some poems from my chat book. Uh, thank you. You're really nice. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Ever since I started writing this chat book and people have been reading my stuff, and I always get the compliments, or not com comments, it's like, oh, I didn't know this happened to you. Oh, did this really happen? It's just funny hearing that. It's like, no. Some of it, but no. Um, that said, these first two poems are actually based off of real incidents, because, you know, what else am I going to be inspired from? Um, have you guys heard of Grinder? Yes. yes. No. <laughs> it's a dark, dark part of the internet, probably. Um, so I was on Grinder probably two years ago when I started going on. Um, I didn't realize how um, kind of straightforward guys can be on there. A lot of dick pics. Um, pretty ones and ugly ones. So these first two poems were inspired by messages that people sent me unsolicited. Like, I didn't see how to them first. Um, I'm trying to find the first one. <laughs> so it's fun. I noticed that 
being like a gay man online or just anywhere, I I noticed I got like two reactions from people, right? It's like either they are total like yellow fever um, into rice and whatnot. Uh, Yeah, so you know what, starting with that, I met this one dude and we were on a date and it was like great and all. And then afterwards, he's like, you know what? I'm just not a no rice, I'm a no rice, no spice kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. And I was on the train going home and I just wrote, you know, the poetry of his jawline falls apart when he opens his mouth. Um, and then this dude messaged me on Grinder saying, um, and I quote, you're cute, but I'm not into Asians. Sorry, just a preference. At least he apologized, right? Change your photo. Let the fish on your arm play peekaboo because a bit of color entices. Congratulations. 20 torsos unlocked in your area. Five, no Asians. Four variations on, I'm not a racist, I just have preferences. Six, suspected bots, which proved to be human on your friend's phone. Your total number of failed conversations through apps reveals how quiet the world can be to you or to that closeted Asian boy daydreaming into the night for rooftop parties with endless daiquiris when he finally has enough courage to come out. He sits on, his bu- on the bus on his phone, typing his fourth, hey, what's up, after deleting eight other messages that receive no responses. How does he voice himself in the sea of gay men where so many of us drown under our skin, the ink that covers it? And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you just get guys who really love you just for being Asian. This is the exact messages this guy sent me, in all caps. It makes a difference. <laughs> Force this white bitch to serve your oriental noodle. <laughs> I was like, plus 20 for wit? Minus 200 for good human being. It was really romantic. We, we totally met up. We did not. All you do is blink, delete, the no thank you, wishing you could escape the bamboo cage of your body, but you delete the app briefly, re-downloading temptation and discovering still you're only desired when they lust for a vacation in the land that is your skin, eager to gorge themselves on your oriental noodle. He spelled your with just a Y and an R, which is, no. <laughs> you spell out every word to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, this book's been out for, this chapbook's been out for like since December, and I've done quite a, luckily, like a lot of readings with it, and thanks for making me feel not tired reading these poems, actually. This is a funny one. And I noticed that a lot of, uh, like I see other gay Asians on Grinder and whatnot, and I'm just like, oh sweet, someone I can relate to. Not really, because this happens. <laughs> um, in their bio, it's like, sometimes they'll just say shit like, White, plus, plus, plus. I'll let you imagine what that means. It means they want white people. 
Asian selected from drop down menu. Only drops pants for tops seeking Asians. Yeah. It's nasty. I'll read one more, which will explain why there's a beetle in the cover. It's gross, eh? Okay, it's, it's called Stubbleburn. Well, one more from this book. I'll some new stuff. You wait for him over coffee because it is innocent so long as you keep adding sugar. Sorry I'm late. The last time he apologized, you turned yourself into an X. Keep it innocent. Keep it innocent. Don't stop adding sugar, add sugar, add sugar, add sugar. Your mind wanders to how it felt to spend time in a room that has never really left you. You recall giving him too many sweat-laced secrets. And before you collect them all back from his lips, you notice the glass of water hasn't fallen off the nightstand and onto the mattress, so maybe it's all going to be worth it. So you take him in, his tongue kind between your thighs. You're so my type is lovely in the moment because that's just how romance works. But when he comes inside, you want to leave your body. Water spills onto the mattress. He drips out of you, drips and drips and drips. Doggy style, doggy breath. He compliments your amazing ass in the heat. He helps you finish with a bite here, here and there. I'm your rice queen, slips through his teeth and you swallow a salty love. If cum's bladders can be red like tea leaves, yours are shaped like black beetles. Your skin begins to crawl. His words hit you when he meant for them to kiss. He kisses your sweaty brow and moves down your neck. His stubble burns in a way you can't stand for once. A lump forms in your throat, and to stay calm, you focus on unsinking your breathing from his. You feel bigger than the skin that holds you, which he worships. Can we still have coffee tomorrow? You promise yourself that's all you will have with him from now on. So long as you keep conversation innocent, say only what you want, not what you think you would like. Speak less sweetly, less sweet, less sweet. I'm done talking about racism. <laughs> so I wrote those poems and a bunch of other ones that will hopefully appear in the next book. And there's really like, really about racism. And like, it's important to write about that stuff. It is, but I'm just really tired of it, you know? So I've been trying to write new stuff. And I'm going to experiment a little bit here with this new stuff. Uh, this one has no title yet. Maybe you guys can title it for me after. The ocean is slicing its heels on calcified mermaid brains, tripping over prehistoric shells coated in oily rainbows, trying to get to you. You're crying, and your salty tears need to be licked away. The truth is that your devil should not be remembered only when he wants to be, but he is there in the stinging on the soft bottoms of your toes after you slip, barnacles lacerating your skin. And he is in sensations of slurping back ice-cold oysters as you sit on the shoreline, golden and hot, citrusy saline dribbling down a stubbly chin, speckling sand dark and damp. Before you leave, be sure to stand, limp over to your devil, waist-deep in the tide, he will bow, patient and understanding, forgiving and waiting to be crowned with white shells you've smoothed down. Mm. 
I live in Surrey, quite a ways away. But don't worry, I'm coming here in, in two months. <laughs> um, and riding the train a lot. I do a lot of riding on the train. Uh, it's a way to not talk to people. So um, I like to people watch a lot. And this one dude got on the train. Very stereotypical, beautiful white man. Um, and I wrote this piece. It's called Celebrity Sighting, Michael Fassbender. <laughs> I really love him as an actor, though. You guys should really watch all his movies. They're really good. <laughs> like, so good. Like him and Rudy Mara. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so, it's Wednesday, which means I can be an optimist or a pessimist. I decide to not make all love songs I have on my phone about you. A guy sitting across from me on this bus looks like he could pass for Michael Fassbender in his late 20s. His earbuds are in, and he's wearing a tight-fitting baby blue polo. If the universe is rewarding me for imagining more realistic rationales for why I made the mistakes I did with you, Fassbender and I here would be in a romantic indie movie. He's now texting or changing the song on his phone while I type all of this into mine. It's Wednesday, which means it has been two or three weeks since I last spoke with you, and I've decided to let memories of me haunt you through love songs that you forgot you had in your phone. Michael Fassbender's young doppelganger takes out one of his earbuds. He tilts his head up, and I prepare to maybe mumble a hello, but our eyes only meet for a second. He looks to the map above my head for what the next stop will be, and if the universe is kind, he won't get off there, because that's where you got off and never came back to me. Fassbender stays on the bus. We pass your stop, and he makes a few quick swipes on his phone, puts his earbuds back in, and relaxes back into his seat hopefully listening to a song that wouldn't remind me of you. This next poem's about a pug. <laughs> I've always wanted a pug, because who wouldn't? And name him Disco. <laughs> this is called Disco the Pug is Mine. <laughs> I haven't adopted him yet, but he's mine. Some things can be yours, the lava lamp, the shake weight, and the room where you write. But Disco can wander in there whenever he feels like it. You can't write any poems about Disco. Just don't. He won't appreciate your words concerning his buggy eyes, how you liken, to, liken them to the cartoon that scared and or traumatized you when you were a child. If the lava lamp spooks him, then we'll have to donate it. When you use your shake weight and it agitates Disco, because it obviously will, <laughs> then you need to take a step back and reconsider where your priorities are in this relationship. Your arms aren't getting any bigger. And you know, Disco will have to get him a stick. If we snap your old lacrosse stick, that will work. Don't give me that. You know I didn't agree to our first date because you're a great lac lacrosse player. You know I hate sports. But Disco needs to run, needs exercise, needs to chase something, needs you to need me and what I need, needs you to stop running after a different version of what I'm offering here. Do any of you have pugs? Does anybody have a pug? Is it true their eyes have like this risk of popping out of their head? Is it? That's something to think about. <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. Um, okay, this next one's called Fairy Tale Glow. I don't know about the title yet. We'll see. 
Don't gag him with ribbons made from police sirens harmonizing down the 99. Silence is only subjective if it can't be helped. Call him honey. Now you're both men in the fairy tale glow of a hunter's moon. And it wants you to meet him halfway where you never thought you could exist. Forget about his phone that you dropped in the cold on the side of the road. Embrace the quiet his eyes hold, the safety you see in this nervous man. Neither of you know how to change or want to change the flat tire. This last one's really weird. Um, I read this book by a local poet. Her name is Leah Horlick. You guys know her? Yeah, yeah. Leah is amazing. I wish she was here. I read her collection for your own for for your own good, and you guys should just read it. It's like, um, so I wrote this poem. Just, yeah, after reading Leah's stuff, Leah, I hope you're listening. <laughs> it's called the gift. Sometimes the future has no feathers, only silver horns curling up from above the eyes. Childish rage and desire, joy and frustration, string the prettiest and rarest jewels between them. A 24 karat brain and voice silences sirens in awe. Take what is wanted, dream and hope it into flesh and blood. I'm kind of tempted to read this one new poem that... Yeah. Well, you see, my... My editor is going to get mad at me, so I don't tell him, because it has something to do with the title of my next book. So maybe I just won't tell you that it's the title. No. Um, just give me one second here, because I didn't think I was going to read it, but I kind of want to read it. Yeah. I'm not mocking you. I just, I get nervous. And I just <laughs> So it's a series of poems all titled the same thing. And this is one of them. <laughs> Beyond red knees, stubble burns, jaws aching, hearts racing quicker than paces taken through damp darkness towards a door. We are echoes of ancestors. Blind envy infests these hands rattling every reachable rusted lock beyond belonging beyond what we can understand what we create and destroy that's it now we have marine medvant her writing has been published in literary journals and magazines and on the stage and screen internationally Maureen's adaptation of her novel, The Tracy Fragments, opened the panorama program of the 57th Annual Berlin International Film Festival, winning the Manfred Salzberger Prize. Black Star is her second novel, and another book of essays is forthcoming in 2019. She is also the associate professor in the creative writing program at the University of British Columbia. Here's Maureen. All right, what a crowd. Um, I, this is unbelievable. It gives me hope for the future. People are reading. 
So thank you, Fine. Thanks, Cole, and Fine people. Let's see if I can read under this light. I no longer can see nor not see, so we'll see what happens. We'll see if I can keep standing. Okay. This is from Black Star, not the David Bowie album or the rap group. Um, I am writing here about, this is like the beginning of the novel. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, but uh, it's about something that nobody's heard of before, um, an academic who is um, an the ultimate antagonist. So um, she's a moral philosopher, and her name is Del Hanks, the ultimate anti-hero. Everything was perfect until Helene LeBec infected our university. A lesion of carcinogenic proportions capable of rotting and destroying departments, and even entire institutions of higher learning. That's the kind of hire who is a department killer, said Tannis, my best friend, my colleague in the philosophy department. We'd look around to make sh sure no one heard us use the words kill her in the perk the faculty cafeteria, somebody might call security. Lebec, the cunning adjunct, was a coalescence of digital perversion, anime upskirt, cybernetic porn star, and wide-eyed schoolgirl, an erotic unicorn. <laughs> Hello, Dell. She pronounced my name by elongating certain letters while curling the ends of others in a way that made me want to hurt her. <laughs> Del, for Delarosa, an homage to a great aunt and as hot as an instrument of torture. Why not just call me the Iron Maiden? Del, not an inspiration for dreams, wet, dry, or otherwise. Whereas Lebec was hot, rock star hot, or the girlfriend of a rock star hot, she was sexy, pretty, smart, and I hated her. I had a strong impulse to punch her. While that would be satisfying, I knew there'd be consequences. Wait until after you get tenure, Tannis said, biting into the kind of white and brown creamy snack that always looks better than it tastes. But time was running out. A stranger passed me in the quad, tilly hat, shorty shorts, knee-high socks, an expression of confused abstraction. Once the alpha predator of our ecosystem, such people now looked insane. <laughs> Stalked, felled, driven to near extinction through the process of anagenesis and the sudden appearance of a more advanced life form, a kind of superior progeny of those better adapted to survive and reproduce in this high-tech, ruthlessly competitive biophysical environment. At 40, I was no supermodel, 
not, as my mother delighted to remind me, small-boned. But I'd found my brand and whipped that trope. The naughty librarian dyed my white hair black, wore bold white plastic frames, cool but not ridiculous, stout, no-nonsense, preoccupied by research, predisposed to irritability, not at the top of the party list, not rude but direct, aggravated by people, mainly my colleagues and family, but dealt with them in a perfunctory manner, keeping my expression blunt. I clomped through the halls as a courtesy, alerting others to my presence in case they were talking about me, lumbered from my office in the Department of Philosophy to the lecture theater in John Kenneth Hall, in the basement of an abandoned building incubated with asbestos and black mold. I suspected my colleagues were trying to kill me. Helene Lebec was an adjunct, a seasonal worker, cheaply paid, trucked in for her expertise, then sent back to wherever she came from. In Lebec's case, some tiny college in Idaho, home of the potato. <laughs> God's country, she said. Hmm, well you talk as if God exists and forgot about the rest of us, I said. She stared back at me, blinked as pure and sincere as a dog. I first met Helene Lebec at our summer faculty meeting. Her outfit was audacious, even by the standards of our student population. That day she wore thigh-high boots, her skirt was so short it was probably a belt, and her giant anime eyes ticked open, that factory-inserted look known as doll's head. Her hair shattered shards of blue glass, the grommets, the piercings. A rudimentary life form nobody would want as a full faculty member, no student as a mentor. Not everyone can be stellar, so I felt sorry for her, the one with no future. Initially, I thought Lebec was somebody's kid coming for a visit your parents at work day, an undergraduate invited to our faculty meetings to make a brief announcement about a student initiative. But the only podium I could imagine her standing on was the one at the fuzzy banana strip bar on highway number five. That day, Danke had that grating crackbender smile. Well, she's not... You know, this is an anti-hero, I said. Um, that day, Danke, it's not me. That day, um, sometimes you have to go deep, <laughs> deep into the human psyche in places. It's a painful job, but somebody's got to do it. That day, Danke had that grating crackbender smile. I'd seen it before. Lebec was a consequence of some backroom negotiation, some dirty exchange of funds. It was obviously just a matter of time before Denke saw himself reflected in a pool of his own vomit, then sent Lebec back to the potato farm. My colleague Bleg was a logician. She had a bland face, cauliflower head sprunging with tight white curls. I'm sorry I'm pregnant, parenthetical to every statement. I hated Bleg because I can't stand people who make excuses for their poor life choices. 
But that day at the faculty meeting, Bleg leaned over to me. Her blank eyes gave off a messianic flash under the fluorescent lights. She always turned up with some bit of intrigue or gossip, like someone who needed to fuck strangers to keep the marriage interesting. That day, she keened into my ear the name of the Ivy League College where Lebec had received her PhD. What are you, her agent, I said. Don't try to sell me on her. Once an adjunct myself, I was currently the youngest member of permanent faculty, hired for a tenure-track position in philosophy of mind based strictly on a rigorous interview process, letters of reference, the success of my first book, and the promise of a second. When the real and the unreal came out 10 years ago, it had a respectable following. Lebec stared at me throughout the meeting, vibrating with the wet, frenzied wonder of an adolescent girl who'd met her teen crush. As soon as Denke ended our meeting, and right in front of everyone, Lebec called out, Del Hanks, I'm a fan. I was taken aback. Embarrassed. Nobody had ever admired and acknowledged my work so effusively in public. My colleagues waited to gauge my response, smiling in that dark way I associated with predatory rapacity. What I then said had to be perfect, otherwise I'd be criticized, loathed, and shunned. I carved it out carefully. Really? That's nice. Lebec was a virtue ethicist with research on something to do with pets. Her PhD was a high contrast to her cute baby voice and intentionally choreographed slutty slash hipster attire. It created a chemical reaction within me that instantly turned me into a bitch. Del, I love your work. Of course, when one considers your feminist perspective, I bristled. There is remotely no feminist perspective in my work. Even I could taste, big surprising, even I could taste the tartness of my own enunciation. It felt powerful to be hard and withholding toward Lebec, and I hated that aspect of myself. It made me feel bad, but not bad enough, I thought, as I smiled around at my colleagues. But you would know that since you love my work, I said, with an emphasis on love. My colleague shrunk in my cut. The night after our faculty meeting, I had a nightmare. It had the impact of an H-bomb dream, or the one above the asteroid hurtling toward the Earth. In this nightmare, an unknown postdoc received a six-figure advance from a major publisher. And Lebec's face flashed whitely inside me. The saying, it's only a dream, was quickly replaced by, no, it's fucking real. Months earlier, Bleg had given me the grim details. I'd forgotten the writer's name until that night. I didn't want to confirm online. If true, I'd never sleep again. But I asked Tanis about it the next day. That's the one. I thought you knew that. She said it like a slap. The words, no fucking way, came out before I could filter them. Tanis shrugged. I don't think fucking had anything to do with it. It seemed hard to believe that the writer with the big advance was the same person who looked like a sullen teenager painting her toenails in the sun. Although I'm sure it wasn't the first time, I had literally never heard of such a big advance for an academic publication. 
A hive of envy and rage swarmed inside me. It was Lebec, not even a famous person, not even a regular person, not someone who'd paid their dues after decades of research, like Tanis or that idiot Denke. After that, it was all the Lebec show all the time, how she'd accepted and rejected invitations, flew all over the world, a phenomenon genetically superior, some ultra species created in a lab. For that kind of money, I'd join a circle jerk with Kant, Plato, and Spinoza. <laughs> How did you get that kind of advance, I asked Tanis. You're not that kind of philosopher, Tanis said. Forget it. Her comment cut my heart. Then my heart sagged at the tight margins of my destiny. I couldn't tolerate the pain of what she'd said and still maintain our friendship. I angled her comment for days until it caught a piece of light. I decided she made a mistake. She must have meant that I was too principled to exploit the lurid and macabre for fame and money. Thank you. Our final performer of the evening was Katie Nordgren, a writer, podcaster, check out her Sea Hags podcast, and a wonderful stand-up comedian born and raised right here in Vancouver. Here's Katie. Thank you so much. Um, I'm still not clear. Is it Lido or Lido? (laughs) Nobody knows either. Cool. No problem. Um... So like Cole said, my name is Katie Nordgren, and I am a stand-up comedian in theory, uh, and I'm very excited to be here tonight, but I do have something I want to address just right off the top. Um, Yeah, I, uh, basically all of the aesthetic and fashion choices that I've made tonight um, are calibrated carefully to be as unappealing as possible to heterosexual men. Um, this is just really not anything personal. Like, I, do, I don't dislike men. I just really needed them to stop trying to talk to me on public transit. <laughs> like, this was a really big problem for me, so now I look like this. Uh, and so far, this experiment has been a pretty big success. Uh, yeah, I recommend it. Um, qualified success, however, because as it turns out, the same things that, uh, that turn off a straight guy are the exact same things that fascinate and delight small children. So I have simply traded one demographic for another, and I'm not allowed to yell at this one. And I'm not going to, obviously. Like, I understand why kids are looking at me. Number one, I'm kind of asking for it. And number two, I'm more Muppet than woman. Like, I look like I was made in Jim Henson's Creature Studio, yes? Like, they're they're looking at me not for something gross, but because they recognize me from a very special episode of Sesame Street, where we finally get to meet at least one of Cookie Monster's two mommies. Yeah, I'm Cookie Monster's gay mom. What's up? How are you doing? I'm actually not, surprise, very surprisingly, I'm not all the way gay. Um, I'm like part gay, like half gay, probably on my dad's side, if we're being honest. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm bisexual, which is pretty more and more common these days. And it's not like, I'm certainly not ashamed of my sexuality, but I find it very hard to be proud of it because I didn't choose this. Like if I had a choice, I would have gotten into a Subaru and driven over to the lesbian side a really long time ago. <laughs> Like, I would have drag and boated over there. Ladies, wait for me. <laughs> Please don't start the Xena marathon until I get there. It's a good time. Um, I, have, uh, I have dated a lot of men in my life because it's easy. Um, it's, it's just so much easier. Like, 
and it's hard for me to explain bisexuality to like my lesbian friends. They don't they don't get it because I have to explain to them what it's like to want something that you don't want. Um, and I try to explain this to them, like, like, you know, you got to create scenarios that make sense. It's like waking up with a terrible, terrible hangover and realizing that the only thing that can save you is a McDonald's breakfast. Like, I know that this is not going to be good for me, but it's so hot and so greasy. Like, it was so fucking easy for me to date men in my early 20s, especially, because they would just, like, they used the mating call, like, the magic words, which, of course, we all understand to be, do you want to come over to my house and watch a movie? <laughs> like, we know what this means, yes. It means, do you want to come over to my house, half-watch a movie, kill a few cans of Lucky Lager, and have some okay sex on a broken futon? <laughs> Why, yes, Chad. <laughs> that sounds like a very elegant Thursday. <laughs> Frankly, if you throw in a joint and a fudgicle, I'm literally yours forever. <laughs> so I'm a very simple woman with simple needs, guys. Um, but dating women has always been a lot harder, and it's been really hard for the last 10 years because suddenly all women who like women, we have lost all ability to signal to each other through fashion. Like, it's not possible anymore because it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, you met someone with a side shave and a plaid flannel, then, brother, you'd be doing the two-finger tango to Tegan and Sarah in no time at all. <laughs> but nowadays, that just describes every woman in this room <laughs> every woman under 40 in east vancouver and those are not good odds for me i don't appreciate that um this is i know there's a lot of talk about appropriation lately but the uh, straight appropriation of gay clothes has got to stop like that that's a thing that needs to stop and uh i i experienced this shopping on oldnavy.com recently because i do not respect myself um <laughs> And I noticed that any item of clothing that was not especially feminine, like it didn't have a tit window in it or anything, each of those was listed as being a, like a boyfriend item. That was the qualifier that was used for them. It's like, boyfriend distressed jeans. Like, wear your boyfriend slouchy shirt. Wear your boyfriend plaids. Wear your boyfriend army jacket. Like, Old Navy, settle the fuck down. It is 2018, and those are lesbian clothes. Let us have this, please. And I know that they're lesbian clothes because nobody is going to come up to me when I'm wearing distressed jeans, a slouchy shirt, a plaid flannel, and an army jacket and be like, sweet togs, Katie, what's your boyfriend's name? <laughs> Leanne? <laughs> she does roller derby and runs a Tori Amos-themed kitten rescue. <laughs> it's called Little Perthquakes. That joke is for like five people. <laughs> So that's a thing. That's a problem that I have. Uh, and I, um, so I live in New Westminster because I live in Vancouver and I cannot afford to live in Vancouver. So I live in New Westminster. Um, there is a restaurant in my neighborhood. It is called Big Star Sandwiches. And they got some, um, did somebody just woo that? <laughs> it's a sandwich. <laughs> anyway, they got some viral fame recently because they put a chalkboard sign out in front of their little establishment that says, Liam Neeson eats here for free. And he was filming in the neighborhood. He showed up. Guys, they used the secret and it worked. Like they wrote down what they wanted. <laughs> and they put it out into the universe and the universe manifested it for them. They got those beautiful Instagram photos they wanted with the Taken guy. Everything was great that day. And I love that. That's awesome. But I'm concerned. I have a concern. And that is just that like we're supposedly living this, in this incredibly entitled milieu and I'm worried about what other people are going to do with this information, knowing that this works now. Like, I actually, I actually saw someone else trying this, this strategy. I was walking down Commercial Drive, and in front of the Storm Crow Tavern, they had a sign that says, oh, Captain James T. Kirk drinks here for free. I was like, you're fucking nerds. 
you're fucking nerds and he's not real. He's not coming. I'm so sorry. I'm going to shove you into a locker, you nerds. But I am, I'm honestly a lot more concerned with what it means to me because uh, I have bad ideas too. And I don't have the resources that I require to have like a team of specialists constantly ready for me seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to convince me to not get a chest tattoo that says Jeff Goldblum comes here for free. <laughs> I don't know what it is, guys, about Jeff Goldblum. He played a mathematician in Jurassic Park and he was still fuckable. He was wearing Transitions lenses in that movie and he was still fuckable. It's absurd. It's absurd. How many people got here on a bicycle this evening? Do we have bike bikey people? Yes. I am not a cyclist. I don't enjoy it. Um, as I said, I live in New Westminster and everything that I want is on a 45 degree angle from me. So it's not very useful. Uh, and the other reason, like, that I don't like them, they know, there's hills there. Uh, the other reason I don't like riding a bike is because um, it hurts my snatch. <laughs> and every time I've told that to a bike friend, they've been like, oh, Katie, you just keep at it. You're going to build up a callus. <laughs> You're not a good salesperson. <laughs> oh, you just keep at it, Katie. You just keep at it, and eventually... It'll be like a horse's hoof. You won't feel anything. So I don't, I don't ride bikes. Um, so I'm going to follow up that vagina joke with another vagina joke. And that'll be it for me tonight. Um, I really want to thank you guys for being here. Uh, this is actually the first time I've ever headlined a show. So yay. Uh, yes. It's a milestone. Thank you for being part of it. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, vagina jokes are kind of, uh, they're up for debate, really, and uh, the reason that I've written this joke is because I read an interview with a comedian named Eliza Schlesinger, who indicated she was doing that, like, cool girl thing, you know, where they're like, I'm not friends with girls, because girls are bitches, and all my friends are guys, because they don't have drama. So she has that kind of vibe, and she was like, I don't like other women comedians, because all they ever do is talk about their vaginas. I can't tell their sets apart. My sets are intelligent. I have a joke about World War II. That's your deep dive for, like, cultural relevancy? <laughs> World War II, the thing every documentary is about? Good job. I'm proud of you. But I just, I, the thing is, it's like, you can say whatever you want to say. I'm not offended. I'm just irritated. I don't like the false equivalency she's setting up. It's bullshit. The idea that you are either intelligent or you're puerile. Like, that you can write intelligent historical jokes or you can write vagina jokes. Like, you can write jokes about World War II and vaginas. You can write World War II jokes about vaginas if you want to. I wrote some. Um, <laughs> and I would love to share them with you, if that's cool. Thank you, okay. My pussy is like World War II. Your grandfather has a lot of stories about being in it, but in reality, he was disqualified for his bone spurs. <laughs> bone spurs. My pussy, ladies and gentlemen, my pussy is like World War II. It's old and overused as a metaphor for human suffering. <laughs> oh, it's actually really nice, I promise. Um, and lastly, and the very last thing, and I will leave you with that, is my pussy. <laughs> oh, I don't like saying the word, but I'm doing it for the comedic value. My pussy, you got to pop your peas, pussy, my pussy is like World War II. Because there's no more men on the home front, so the ladies are taking the fellas' jobs. 
Thank you. And may I say, they are learning to use heavy machinery. We can do it, ladies. Thank you. Hey, y'all good? Great. You've probably already figured this out on your own, but just in case, I thought I should let you know that this is the end of the show. Thanks again to all of the storytellers, Nicholas Kurgovich, Delito for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, No Fun Radio for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Nicholas Kurgovich's Country Boy. I'm a country boy Loving every minute of my life Just a country boy Really living out here I smell the air Burning as I rake up all the leaves As goats get up on things I work hard, I'm easy to place Admiring the mornings Always feeling like myself Catching my reflection In the water of the pond Call me Billy Midnight Always in the same jeans Losing my Just rocking back and forth I will be so good to you